All right, well, leave it to a guy to uh, turn dinners of eight into a competition and a way to declare he won fantasy football. So whether you like fantasy football or not, we would really love for you to be able to not have this place just as a church you attend, but really a family of where you connect to one another. And so if that is a way that you would like to take a first step in connection, I would encourage you to pursue that. So as you think back 15 years ago today, uh, do you remember where you were that Tuesday morning? I can still very clearly remember uh, September 11th, 15 years ago, and how in that morning, really our world has been significantly changed. Obviously, for thousands of families, their world was changed, but our world as a whole, our country, so dramatically changed in that single day. We have been in this series from Hebrews 11, talking about by faith whatever, and thinking about this 15th anniversary of 9-11, you just never know what a day will hold. And what we are seeking by God's grace to do is to cultivate a relationship, a trust, like we just declared in song, a trust in him that would be whatever takes place. But I wanted us to specifically pause before we open the scriptures this morning and pray for our country, pray for those families, and pray that as a church, we would be the people that God intends us to be in this culture, whatever takes place. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you that nothing catches you by surprise, though we are shocked and often appalled at what takes place, we want to declare this morning that we do trust in you. Thank you that we can call you Father. And for those who this is a sad, sorrowful day of the loss of a husband or a wife, a child, a parent, sibling, I ask that they would know you, the God of all comfort. For those who are attempting to deal with the grief apart from relationship with you, would today they have a significant longing and understanding of a desire for you? Would you open their eyes to the hope of the gospel, of the hope of Lord God Almighty being Heavenly Father? I pray that you would be the God of all comfort to them and that we as the church would be what you intend us to be in this culture. And so we, as the scripture says, we pray for our leaders in this time. That they would be the ministers of God that your word proclaims them to be. I pray that your word would have increased authority in their life. That they would, as leaders, lead this nation in repentance of going against your truth, of defying you, and that we would humble ourselves before you, God, declaring our desire and need for your mercy and for your grace, our desire to have you be our leader. We ask, Lord, that as a church, we would be who you intend us to be. 
that we would joyfully submit ourselves to you and by faith live out obedience and relationship to you. Ask that we would be the salt and light that you intend Christian Family Chapel to be, not in this community only, but to the ends of the earth. I pray that we would be people who reflect a love for you and a love for others that is transforming to this community. I ask that you would bring about repentance in our own hearts where it's needed. And Lord, as we look toward in the coming months an election with new leaders in this country, I pray that we would be salt and light even in that process, that our words would be full of grace and seasoned with salt. We would conduct ourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. We declare our desperate need for your mercy and grace. And ask, Lord, that as we look at the scriptures now, that it would instruct us and that faith would come by the hearing of the word and that we would have faith more in our lives to the praise of your glory and to the fullness of our joy in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You know, as we have looked at this by faith, whatever, what we really mean by that, and if you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to turn to Hebrews 11. The opening verse tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So make that very practical. In other words, today could be a day that changes the next 15 years of our life. But in the, whatever happens in the circumstances of our lives or our family or our church or our community, whatever takes place, we have an assurance of things hoped for. We have conviction of things that aren't seen. In other words, there is a truth that God has declared, not as we see it, but as he has declared it. There's a truth that our lives are intended to be rooted in. And so regardless of the circumstances, whatever, that we would have an assurance in God's truth, that we are ahead of conviction and what he has declared, even though it doesn't seem like sometimes it's true or seem like it's working. It's a conviction of things not seen. Specifically this morning, we want to look at three men from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20, 21, and 22. And what the scripture says about their faith, regardless of the circumstance. It says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Isn't that interesting? You've probably never thought about orders in your bones being an act of faith. That it was for Joseph. So, three guys, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the descendants of Abraham who are commended for their faith. But what's the common thread through all three men in this passage in their faith? When did it take place? Okay, yeah, I, I should have had you look for it as we were reading it. In all three cases, it's an act of faith 
by Isaac when he was dying. It's an act of faith by Jacob when he is dying. And it's an act of faith by Joseph when he is dying. See, you may remember, if you go back to verse 13 earlier in the chapter, the writer said, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. And at first pass, you think, oh, he's talking about who he had already talked about, but it's not. It was an introduction to the folks that he was going to talk about, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph are some of those who died in faith. So what's that mean, that they died in faith? Well, according to the scripture, that means that they died believing that what God said was true would still be true even though they don't see it yet. They died in faith. They died having not never realized the promise. Now, I use that word key here, realized. Had they received the promise? Yes or no? Yes, they had received the promise that God was going to make Abraham and his line a great nation. It was going to go through from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and through the descendants then. So they had, they had received the promise, but they had, not, they had not realized them in the sense that they had not yet been fulfilled. So they had, they had, they had not realized them, but they blessed while dying. The expression was they welcomed them from far off. Here's what's happening. So Isaac is commended that when he was dying, even though his descendants weren't great, even though they were a long way from a great nation, he blessed his sons based on the promise that God had given his dad and him, even though they wasn't seen yet. You see, have you ever thought, ah, I know God says it, but I just can't see how that could happen. I know God says this true, but I'm not sure how he could ever work that. We tend to think of the work of God in the context of our own lives. As if we get so self-centered, if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, well, God's failing. You don't realize how arrogant that is of us. Not recognizing... You and I are simply little pieces in a broad, grand work of God. And so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph all die with the faith that they recognize it didn't happen in my lifetime, but I still believe it's going to happen. That is commendable. Because sometimes if we don't see it in a week or a month or a year or we don't see it in our lifetime, then God failed. They didn't see it that way. They blessed while they were dying in faith. Now, in each of these situations, we looked at the historical account for them. So I want you to go from Hebrews 11, if you have a copy of the scriptures, back to Genesis chapter 27. Because in Genesis 27... That's where you get the account of Isaac blessing, as Hebrews 11 says, by faith. 
In verse 2 of Genesis 27, this is Isaac speaking. He says, Behold, now I am old, and I don't know the day of my death. In other words, I think I've rounded third, headed home. Not sure when I'm going to get there, but I feel like I'm in the final stretch. Because he believes that his death is imminent, he calls his oldest son. You remember Isaac had twin boys, Esau and Jacob, Esau being the oldest. He calls Esau to him, and here's what he says. Now then, this is Isaac to Esau, please take your gear, that is your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may do what? bless you before I die. So I don't think this is Isaac's last meal, his final meal, but he is saying this is going to be a monumentous occasion. I'm going to pass the blessing of the Father on to you, and so I'd like to mark it with my favorite meal. So how about you go get it for me, prepare it, and we'll do the ritual. Pretty straightforward, but a tremendous plot twist takes place. If you know the story, you're like, hey, yeah, yeah, I know this. But don't let your knowing of the story take away the uniqueness of this moment. What the scripture tells us is dad says this to Esau, but mom overhears it. And when she overhears what dad says to her oldest son, she conceives of a radically different plan. She calls her second son, Jacob, the younger of the twin, to her, and he, she has a conversation with Jacob like dad had a conversation with Esau. She says to Jacob, now, go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father. See, Rebecca knows her, her husband. He, he, he likes his food, and we know how he likes it. So I'll prepare it for him, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat, so that he may do what? Bless you before his death. So she is trying to create a situation where her husband blesses Jacob instead of Esau. There's this... Suddenly, this amazing race for a savory dish to take place. And who has the advantage? Who has the advantage? Yeah, obviously, Jacob. Why? Because he doesn't have to go hunt. He just gets to go out in the backyard and get Billy Bob and take Billy Bob and take him to mom. So he can do it very quickly. In fact, it happens so quickly when he show, shows up with the savory dish. You know what dad says? Wow, that was quick. And Jacob says like, well, God has blessed me. And, and you know what Esau goes, I mean, Isaac goes, huh, that's the voice of Jacob. So Jacob's like, oh no. I did my best Esau imitation. It didn't work. So Isaac says, come here, my son. So Jacob walks over to him, holds out his arm, and Isaac feels the arm. Well, what he actually feels is Billy Bob wrapped around Jacob's arms. The goatskins are wrapped around his arm. And you know what Isaac says when he feels Billy Bob? Esau. 
which tells you a lot about Esau. He felt like a goat. Really, you, you feel a goat. Oh, there's my boy. Uh, that's, that's how he feels to Isaac. So now Isaac's a little confused. He's like, voice of Jacob, but goat skin of Esau. So bring me the dish. And he eats, and it's savory, and it's good, but he's still a little suspicious. So he says, not in an awkward sense at all. Come, my son, and give me a kiss. Again, that's a, it's not an awkward Plus, he wasn't really looking for a kiss. What was he looking for? A whiff. So, Jacob goes over, wrapped in goat skins. Sounds like him, feels like him. You know what Isaac says? Smells like him, too. In other words, Esau had a distinct smell as the man of the field, which is a nice way of saying what? He's done. Yeah, and why did Jacob smell like Esau? Because mom had put Esau's stinky garments on him. I mean, this is not that complimentary to Esau. He feels like a goat and he smells like the barnyard. He smells badly, and by his smell and by his touch, Isaac becomes convinced, ah, it's Esau, so what's he do? Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Now watch. Be master of your brothers. Who's he thinking he's blessing? Esau. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons, I'm not sure what the difference there is, and your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. What does that remind you of? Anything? It ought to remind you of Genesis chapter 12. This is exactly what God said to Abraham. So God said it to Abraham. Isaac, now Abraham's son, is repeating the blessing to his son. That cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. But all along, Isaac thinks he's blessing Esau, when in fact, who is he really blessing? He's actually blessing Jacob. Now, what? Why do you think Isaac wanted to bless Esau? Yeah, most in first hour said, well, because he was the firstborn, and he was the firstborn. But that's not why the scripture indicates. He wants to bless Esau. You know why he wants to bless Esau? It says this. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for gain. Wow, that's deep, Dad. Way to go, you know, meaningful with your love. He loved Esau. He wanted to bless Esau because Isaac loved his stomach. He loved his appetite. Hey, we could pause there and, and quite frankly, do the rest of the message on how our appetites will often derail us. Not just our stomach, but all of our appetites. But let me ask you a question. 
Was there faith in what Isaac did? I have two yeses. Yeah. Well, why do you think there's faith? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, see, I've really I've wrestled with this text like mad because in a natural reading of Genesis 27, you would not finish and go, "Man, Isaac, he's my man. What a what a model of faith." But Hebrews 11 says he blessed in faith. So I'm, I'm a beneficiary of that. And so it's forced me to recognize, aha, there was an act of faith in Isaac's part of recognizing we're far from a great nation, but even though I'm dying and we haven't seen it yet, I still believe it's going to be true. And I'm going to bless you accordingly. There was faith in that. There was just a lot of other squirrely, ugly stuff based on his appetites that doesn't look very much like faith. You with me? You understand what I'm saying? You kind of go, wow, that's not, that's not much to brag about. Where you go, hey, Isaac was faith. Well, yeah, no, when he was died, he blessed the guy, not even the one he wanted to, but he blessed. But it was an act of faith. Jacob's not that much different. When it comes, fast forward now, decades later, Jacob's about to die, and it's now his turn to do what his daddy did for his sons and to bless his sons. The scripture says that, oh, I'm sorry, I, I moved this on. I wanted to go back with, why did Rebecca do what she did? Well, she did it because she had been told when she was pregnant, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall do what? Serve the younger. So prior even to their birth, God had said, this is the way it was going to happen. But Isaac, well, first of all, did Isaac know this? All right. You weren't in first hour. Jackie, you're in this hour. If the Lord says this to you when you're pregnant, do you tell me? Trust me, she tells me. <laughs> She's told me far, far, far less significant things than that. That's not a shot. This was pretty significant. This is not something that a... Come on, spouses, would you keep this to yourself? Oh, I for, didn't I tell you the Lord spoke to me and that the younger was going to... Yeah, I forgot that. You don't forget that sort of stuff. Did Isaac know this? Yes, I'm absolutely certain Isaac knew. It's just Isaac loved his stomach, and so though he blessed in faith, there was a lot of yeah, flesh involved. So then <clears throat> Jacob's turn to bless when he's about to die. He pulls Joseph aside, and he says, hey, I will give you one portion, what? more than your brothers. Uh, they're all going to get this. You're going to get double. How did he do that? Well, he did it very sneakily, which was Jacob's way. He did it by blessing the two sons of Joseph. Instead of simply blessing Joseph, he took his two boys and he said, I bless you and I bless you. Now, did the other brothers miss that? I'm sure they didn't. Hey, how come the grandkids are getting the blessing of the children? 
but only for Joseph. Why in the world did he end up giving Joseph a double blessing? Why? Well, it's a very, very spiritual reason. Let me read it to you. Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons <laughs> because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. Jacob was a guy going, yeah, look at this. I was an old guy, and I, this is my boy. He favored him. So you got, you got Joseph. Was his blessing an act of faith? Yeah, we've been down this path. It was an act of faith like Isaac's was an act of faith in the sense that it was not seen yet, but he's still blessed based on the promise, though it wasn't realized. But it was filled again with, with flesh. He, he's not blessing them because he sees the hand of God upon him. He goes, man, I like you. I'm going to give you double. I like you because I like your cooking. I, I'm going to bless you even though God said it was going to be this way. There's all sorts of flesh intermingled with these acts of faith. So I wrestled like mad. Well, what do I take away from that? You know, how do I encourage you to be people of faith when there's so much flesh in that? And in a strange way, I think we find a, a beautiful truth tucked right in the center of Hebrews 11. From the beginning, here was my caution. Remember what I said we were not going to call Hebrews 11? The hall of faith. Why? Because that would take people and put them on the pedestal. And who was Hebrews 11 intending to put on the pedestal? God. The, the faithfulness, the greatness of God on display. Where is the greatness and the faithfulness of God most on display in Hebrews 11? Actually, with Isaac and Jacob. Why? Because God worked through their faith or in spite of their faith. See, the great reminder for us this morning is this, that the faithfulness of God is greater than the faithlessness of people. So I just want to encourage you this morning, pursue faithlessness so that God will be lifted up. No, 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 I didn't mean that. So that's what's the riskiness. Are you, are you saying, Doug, uh, really? The, the faithfulness is great, most greatly seen in, in our faithlessness? In this case, yes. You see... This is a great room, and please, please listen very carefully. Halfway through, we're three months in. We're going through the end of November. So right here, middle of September, this is the reminder. As we seek to have faith more, never think, never think that God is limited in his work to whether you have faith or not. You are not, and I am not the hero in God's work. So the, the reality is this, is that God's work is not dependent upon your faith. It's not. 
I know this isn't on your message memo. He can and he will and he has and he will again work apart from us. Don't, don't think that God was like, wow, mm, what am I going to do? These guys are boneheads. They're not trusting me in any way. Look at him trying to bless Esau. What am I going to do here? You know, Jesus said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Is that true? Do we see that happening right now? <laughs> not so much. You kind of go, whoa. And so we can get locked into our own little world and think God isn't keeping his promises. He is keeping his promises. We may not see it fulfilled in our lifetime, but God is not limited to our lifetime and God is not limited to our faith. He will work in spite of us. So why have faith then? Because of this, our faith allows us to connect, to share in, to be a part of what God is going to do with us or without us. See, this is, and if you can capture this, this completely turns our obligated obedience upside down into joyful privilege. It's not that God is limited to the amount of my faith or the presence of my faith. It's I am limited to how much I will get to be a part of the greatness of God and the goodness of God and share in the work of God by when I exercise faith or when I shrink back. You see, if you, if you never ask yourself, how, how more might have I connected to God's work? If I wasn't so chicken or so proud or so selfish. You never ask yourself that? I have. I wonder for Isaac. I wonder for Jacob. What did they miss in terms of connecting to what God was doing because they were driven by their favoritism and by their appetite? Is giving an act of faith? It's intended to be. You could give to be noticed by men, and then there would be no faith in that. But our giving is intended. Watch. When we take an offering, our giving is intended to be an act of faith in declaring, I am not depending upon my resources or money. I am depending on God. Therefore, I am glad to give it. But have you ever had an opportunity to give to something you either, for whatever reason, fear, anxiety, other things, you shrunk back from the opportunity, and then later you saw God work greatly there and thought, man, I wish I would have participated in that. You ever thought that? I have. I missed, I missed that opportunity to be a part. God did it without me. How dare he? <laughs> you see, faith is not... What God is waiting on to work. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He will, he has granted us the privilege, the opportunity to join him. And we can either connect 
and experience the absolute joy of stepping beyond our own capabilities, not trusting in ourselves, but serving or forgiving or giving or speaking and sharing in the joyful privilege of being co-laborers in God's field. That, that radically changes this obligation that somehow I am pleading with you. God can't get it done without you. Please step up. That is, that is absolute foolish arrogance. God can 100% do whatever he wants 100% without us. What he has by his grace and mercy invited us into is to trust him and to take steps of faith that join him in his work and have the privilege of being a part of it. So hear me clearly this morning. I want something for you. Because God wants something for you. He's not dependent upon you. You're dependent. I'm dependent on him. But he's not dependent upon us. He wants something for you. The joyful privilege of being a part of what he will do. As a church, we can get inward focus on ourselves and let God do his work apart from us or we can join him in this community as a church we can join with God in what he is going to do among the nations or we can get so invested in love with ourselves that we miss out do you see the difference Do you see how obedience to him is not because he wants something from you, but because he wants something for you? For you. God did what he did, did, and Isaac missed a lot of opportunity. Jacob missed so much opportunity. And you and I, Missed so much opportunity. Final reminder. The good, the bad, and the ugly of our faith will often carry on to our children. You see Abraham where? In Isaac. You see Isaac where? In Jacob. We all have to look if God has given you the privilege of being a parent. We all need to look into the mirror of faith and go, do I want to multiply that? Do I want my kids to repeat that? Here's some mercy and grace. Not always. Not always. And Joseph, who follows in Isaac and Jacob's footsteps, Joseph is, quite frankly, one of my absolute heroes in the scriptures. Because he was a man who had whatever happened in his life. And through it all, I will trust in you. He was a man, both in Hebrews and Genesis, who lived 
and died by faith. Let me give you a few examples. When he was sold into slavery as a young man and a slave in Potiphar's house in Egypt, he gets propositioned by Potiphar's wife. A young man given, being given secret, nobody would ever know, opportunity. A sexual advance by his boss's wife. And in response, Joseph says, there's no one greater in this house than I. And he, speaking of his boss, Potiphar, he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil and disappoint Potiphar? No. And do what? You know what? And sin against God. How could I do this and sin against God? See, the faith, the faith that is so profoundly encouraging to me in Joseph's life is this. Watch. He had every reason to say, hey, God has abandoned me. I'm in Egypt. I've been forsaken by my family. I'm a slave. I'm not serving God. Look what's happened to me. Ask yourself, have you ever allowed your past and what you would say, what God has let happen to you, to be an excuse for your disobedience? For shaking your own fist at God and going, well, God, God allowed this to happen to me. I won't love him. And we live in a world where people have often used the past circumstances of their life as an excuse to shake their fist at God. Joseph could have been first in line. But in that moment, he goes, how could I do that? Not risk my reputation, that's not it. Not risk my job, that's not it. Not risk exposure, that's not it. Not sin against God. I'll trust in him, even as a slave in Egypt. Then he ends up in prison because he doesn't sin he's falsely accused he's thrown into prison and in prison he interprets some guy's dreams and they forget about him until two years later pharaoh has a dream and the guy serving pharaoh goes oh yeah i remember this guy had a dream once and he could interpret it you ought to get him so they go to the prison, they clean, it literally says, they take Joseph, they clean him up, and they stand him in front of Pharaoh. This is Joseph's bright, shining 15 minutes. This is his opportunity. And you know what he says to Pharaoh? Straight to the face of Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, tell me. And Joseph says, uh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. That's strong. In that moment, Joseph takes no credit. He doesn't secretly, well, I know it's the Lord, but I can do this. I've done this in the past. He says, it's not in me, but God will. Have you ever found yourself saying, Moses parted the Red Sea? I have, except he didn't. What did he do? 
He lifted up his staff. Let's be clear. He did this. Who parted the Red Sea? God did. Did Daniel shut the mouths of lions? No. He sat in the middle of them, but God shut the mouths of lions. See, sometimes we end up putting the miraculous on the individual as if it's their power to disperse as they see fit. Blasphemy. Dishonoring to the God who does the miraculous. Joseph's very clear. God will, and God does. And in response, Pharaoh takes Joseph and makes him second in command of all of Egypt. And so when famine hits, the brothers who sold Joseph into slavery into Egypt end up in Egypt in desperate need for food to be saved from the famine and end up in front of all people in need of food with little brother. Oh, no. And they think, once it's revealed who's who, what what do they think automatically is going to happen? He's going to kill us. And we deserve it. Instead, Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. You see the faith in that, friends? This is one of the greatest expressions of faith that challenges me. Because how many of us are willing to say to those who have wronged us, honestly, you meant it for evil. But God, I trust in him. He's working for good. That is the act of faith. To acknowledge there are those who have wronged us, who have meant evil against us, but God has worked it for good. I think it's quite apparent that one of the greatest quenchers of the Spirit in the life of the church is a root of bitterness and an unwillingness to forgive. That quenches the Spirit of God. And it may be quenching the Spirit of God in your life. You have held a grudge about someone who has wronged you. And you refuse to forgive them because they don't deserve it. And the act of faith for you, quite simply, would be to acknowledge, yeah, you meant it for evil, but God... He's working for good. And therefore, you don't need to afraid, be afraid. I'm not going to pay you back. I have experienced mercy. I give mercy. I have been forgiven. I forgive. Only you know where that fits in your life just increasingly convinced that it's our bitterness towards other people, our willingness to receive mercy, but unwillingness to grant it, to want forgiveness, but not to give forgiveness, 
that is quenching the Spirit of God in our personal lives, in our families, and in our church. We need faith more in this moment. Maybe, maybe most profoundly then, after all of the wild ride of Joseph's life, he's about to die. And he says to his brothers, God will surely take care of you. So gracious to him. God will take care of you. You don't need to be afraid of me. You don't need to be afraid of God. God will take care of you. How does Joseph know? Well, I was in a pit, and he took care of me. I was in slavery, and he took care of me. I was in prison, and he took care of me. God will take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. What's he saying? He is saying, and I am 100% convinced, it didn't happen in my lifetime, but God said he is going to give us a land and make us great. And when he keeps his promises, and he will, I know my life story knows he will keep his promises. And when he does, take me home. Take me home. I won't be there. My bones will take my bones home. Truly, it's a, a marvelous ending to a life of faith. Maybe most profoundly challenged by this, that when you look at the life of Joseph, did God use him in unique and special ways? Yes or no? Yeah, like, like quite frankly, few people he's used in human history. What I am so challenged by Joseph is this, is that he was willing to accept that God had chosen him. Now, those are important words. Willing to accept that God had chosen him. In other words, was there opportunity for Joseph, Joseph to become proud? Yeah, when you're the second command in the greatest country in the world and people are literally pleading at your feet for their lives, you could get proud. And you never see him get proud, always humble before the Lord, believing why? This was not me, this was God's choosing. I am uh, and never afraid. Not afraid, Joseph. Fear didn't cause him to shrink back. Pride didn't disqualify him. So pride or fear? What keeps you Just think you for right now. What keeps you from connecting with God's work more fully? Is it pride? I don't want to look foolish. I don't want to take that risk, fear. I don't feel capable. I want to stay comfortable. Is it it pride or fear that causes you to live a small life instead of connecting to the the fullness of what God wants to do in and through you. 
Now, don't misunderstand. Fear will almost always be present. It's whether your fear stops you from taking a step of faith. Question. Does one of these immediately come to your mind as your constant hurdle? Pride or fear? I didn't ask this first hour. How many of you would say fear? How many of you would say pride? So what do you do with that? Lord, I want to confess that. Foolish pride, irrational fear. Foolish pride, irrational fear. You chose me. It's your work. No pride, no fear that controls. More faith. No? What? Faith more. Father, I pray that 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 indeed would be the reality for really each of us this morning. That faith would be more present whatever comes because we would acknowledge foolish pride and repent of it or irrational fear and repent of it and step with those simple words, I will trust in you. You are working for good. Thank you for these three men and their, in each of their lives, how you, Lord Jesus, are lifted up. And I pray that you would be lifted up in and through our lives, in and through this church, to the fullness of our joy and the greatness of your glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. If we can pray with you, I just want to remind you, if we can pray with you, with you, for any reason, there's always men and women available for prayer that we could minister in that way. God bless. See you next week.